How are you this morning? Is it not a beautiful day? We should be having church outside. I think three of you would listen to me if that were the case. So, uh, if you'll turn me in your Bibles to Genesis 11. As we continue our series, as far as the curse is found, we're looking at the Bible holistically. If you're new here this week, uh, maybe you have missed part of the service. Maybe you're just back into town or visiting our family. What we're doing is uh, we're taking a journey through all of God's Word. We're starting way back in the beginning, uh, in the beginning of Genesis, and we are looking to see how in the world did our world get this way? What happened? Why is it so hard? Why is life so difficult? Why so many tears? Why so much pain? Why so much death? Why so much sorrow? And we're realizing that from the beginning, from our first parents, according to God's word, a curse was brought onto us with their disobedience. And we're seeing that there's hope. There's always hope in the Bible. There's such good news. And the good news of that curse being reversed by God's own son, Jesus Christ. So I think this is uh, part five as we make our way uh, through God's word. We're going to be skipping around a little bit, but right now we're in Genesis 11. As we begin, I want you to hear this poem, uh, this lyric of a song that's probably familiar to many of you. It was written in 1971. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. How many of you have that tune now in your head as well? I'm sure many of y'all. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. And no religion too. Imagine all the people living in peace. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us. And the world will be as one. Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger. A brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. John Lennon wrote those words in 1971, but really this is a song that has been sung since time began. This is man's song. I mean, last week, if you're here, I gave you another song that kind of uh, depicted the way we live our lives, especially early on in the book of Genesis. It was Frank Sinatra's My Way. I have done it my way. But this song as well really summarizes the song of fallen man and woman in a cursed world. And it's a song that was being sung as man built what we now know the city and the tower of Babel. As we've been making our way through this uh, journey, we realize that we are in a cursed world. And the reason the world is cursed is because we humans have rejected the God who created us in his image. We rejected him, and we wanted to become our own gods. We wanted to be able to rule and reign over ourselves. We wanted our plan, not his. We didn't want to submit to him. 
Although life is found in Him and really meaning and significance, we've tried to do it on our own way. Our own calling. Our own lives. We live our lives saying, imagine, imagine if we were God. Imagine if there was no other God other than ourselves. Imagine what world would be like. And because man imagined that and rebelled against his God, he brought this curse upon us. And really, what we have been doing ever since that time is man has been living, trying to live without God. Build a city of man. To build his own world. And we realize that it's a world that will crumble. It's a world filled with heartache and sorrow and pain. What sorrow and pain do you bring this morning? What reminder is in your life that we are in a fallen place? What painful memory or reality right now has driven you to this place? Well, let me remind us where we are. If you'll take your Bibles, open them again into Genesis 11. If you were here last week, we ended off in Genesis 9. Last week, we looked at the Noah story, an incredible story that God has given to us. And we were reminded that God will never, ever, ever give up. Is that some good news? We were reminded last week that even when things got really, really bad to the point where all of mankind, every thought was wicked and in rebellion, God is not going to give up, even if he has to save one family to make sure through that one family he will save the world. We also saw last week that God's plan will never fail. Hallelujah. Our our plans will crumble and fade away, but God's plans will never fail. We also saw what we always need to be reminded, especially when we look at stories like Noah, that God's mercy, His goodness, is greater than his wrath. And that he leads with love. Oh, thank God for that reality. Well, we ended off in chapter 9. If you look at chapter 10, we're just going to look at that and just see really all that chapter 10 is. It tells us of all the nations that have come from Noah. It tells us how the whole world has been filled. And how these nations have come from this one man. And now uh, we get to chapter 11. And as I read chapter 11, we're going to read a little bit of chapter 11 and then... Uh, all of chapter 12. Just like last week, there's a lot of scripture here, but it's an incredible story. But I want you to think of that poem or that song that I just uh, had read, Imagine. I want you to put that in juxtaposition with here with Genesis 11. See what they're doing. They're living out these words. Imagine a world without God. And this will show you the fruit of what happens with a world without God as we read uh, Genesis 11. But again, um, as we go back, we're going to do a little Bible tra- uh, travel uh, today. Um, I feel like I have to tell you a couple of warning signs, kind of like if you're going to get on a roller coaster, you know those signs for fat guys like me not to get on them without heart problems? Well, it's just some signs for us that God will give us as well, saying, hey, there's some warning things, warning signs. As we travel back in time, let me give us a couple of those uh, warnings. First of all, What we want to do is when we read old stories in the Bible, stories of an ancient time, we kind of want to go there and grab the goodies. Grab the goodies and apply them immediately to our lives. What's here for me? We kind of uh, uh, are just trick-or-treating in in God's Old Testament. What's there for my, my treat? What is there for my edification? We can't immediately go there. we got to start asking some other questions. What is God revealing in this story to that world? 
Now hang with me a little bit, because this is going to be important stuff for us to understand. That God's going to describe that world, the world of Babel, the world that would come together and build a huge tower. And here's a question we got to be asking. What does he want us to know about that world? How has the curse affected that world? What is happening there? What, is, what sin is driving these circumstances there? But then we want to ask the question, what did it mean to their world? Their world being the original reading audience. Because remember what I said, Moses is writing this in the desert heading toward the promised land. He's not writing this as time is happening. He's writing about history. And we got to ask ourselves a question, why is he giving us this? What did it mean to their world? And I promise you this, if you listen this morning, especially when we get to Genesis 12, you'll be amazed if we put ourselves in the sandals of those leaving Egypt and heading to the promised land, this story has incredible significance for them. You can see, wow, I understand why Moses wrote this story. And then we have to ask the question, what is being said to our world? What is, what is God saying to me today? And we have to see that through the lens of Christ Jesus. What does the life, death, and resurrection of Christ redefine and reshape and refocus this story for us? All right, we got a lot of reading to do, so I'm going to ask God's blessing as we read. Uh, Would you please join me in prayer? Let us pray together. Father God, thank you for the incredible privilege. Thanks for loving us so much that you've given us your story. And Father, this story in so many ways is so detached from us. It seems so ancient. And God, when we look into something so far away, we sometimes want to say, why in the world is this relevant? What does this have for us today? Father, so therefore, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come with power. And that God, you'd open up our eyes and so that we can understand that world that's being described. We can understand what was happening. Father, that you would give us the the eyes to see and the ears to hear and the mind to understand what curse was being lived out in that world. What was happening that made us look to Jesus? Father, we also ask for the eyes to see their world, the world of Moses, the world of the original hearing audience. When they first heard this story, it meant something for them very significant. And Father, for us to fully understand what this means, we got to put ourselves in their sandals too. And so, Father, would you give us the ability to, to be there and maybe to, to see the sights and the sounds and the smell of your people leaving slavery and heading to the promised land and what this meant for them. But God, it would only be a story that is ancient and remote if you didn't give us the eyes to see what it means for us. Because truly, this is a story that points to your son, And truly, by faith in Christ Jesus, this is our story too. So, Father God, would you please come and speak through a broken sinner that desperately needs to hear this story. Father, the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like Jesus? The things that I say that are merely my opinion, may they quickly fall away and be forgotten. We pray that you and you alone receive glory. We receive great joy and great challenge. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, turn with me into uh, Genesis 11, and let's start in verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language in the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Sinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, 
Let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they said, and they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. They said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Okay, we read this, and in the first reading we say, Okay, sounds like uh, man is responding. They want to build a city for themselves. They want to make a name for themselves. They're weary. They don't want to travel. They found a really nice little plain in Sinar, and they want to hang out there, and they want to build themselves a city. What's wrong with that? Seems like they're living life like you and I are. They're trying to make themselves a name and make themselves a city. But when we look closer, we realize there's incredible rebellion here. Really what they're doing is they're saying, imagine. Imagine that we are God and we don't have to listen to God anymore. Remember, God's A plan from the beginning was for you and me to fill the whole world with his glory. That he has told man, you are to multiply and you are to go. And you are to take my name and my blessing wherever I go. Wherever there is darkness, bring light. Wherever there is brokenness, bring peace. Go to fill the whole earth with my glory. And listen to what they're doing. They're saying, forget that. Forget God's plan. Let's have a better plan. Let's build a city for ourselves. Look at what this word ourselves in there a couple times. Very, very significant. Let's build ourselves a tower that reaches to heaven. This is is the beginning of saying, man saying, we don't need God to come reach us. We can reach heaven on our own. This is the original to Led Zeppelin, Stairway to Heaven. Man, is it not rock and roll classic week or what? (laughs) But they wanted to do more. Not just build themselves their own city. This is the city of man. They're rejecting the city of God. There's incredible rejection of God going on here. you got to understand, they're saying, let me me build a name for myself. This is incredibly egocentric. This is man wanting to throw off all restraints of God and say, forget God. Let's imagine he was dead. And let's live like there was no God. And let's just live for ourselves. And let's build something great with our name on it. And then there's great irony. I mean, if you could just see the irony here. Look, look, look at verse uh, 5. And the Lord came down to the city and the tower, which the children of men, you got very important, he's making that emphasis, this isn't God's plan, this is the children of men, had built. And there is, I mean, laugh out loud irony. Because here is man trying to say, we want to build an incredible city, and we're going to build a really, really big tower, and guess what? It's going to reach heaven. And guess what God, who sees all things, knows all things, says to us to make it very clear how little measly Man's plans are. God had to stoop down from heaven. Let me go see that little insignificant tower. Let me go see what insignificant, without me, what man can do. I mean, it's tongue-in-cheek. It's great literature. It's, it's irony. It's God saying, I'm going to have to come stoop to see what your grand plans are. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing they possess to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and uh, go down there, confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them 
from there over the face of the earth. Remember, God's plan never fails. His plan was always that man would be dispersed throughout the earth. And they left building the city. God is going to be so gracious that he's not going to let us build a city of man that will triumph. Ultimately, it's the city of God. Therefore, it was a name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. I've often read that story. Have you? And try to say, what was the big deal? I mean, why did God come and do the things he did? He kind of sounds like an egomaniac himself. He kind of sounds like he looked at man's plans. He says, I'm going to mess them all up. I'm going to confuse them. I'm going to scatter them. I'm going to disperse them so they can't build this anymore. Why is God doing that? He says this, look what man could do. Where could they stop? You see, God knew that his plan was always better than man's plan. And a man saying, imagine there is no God. Imagine there is no religion. Imagine what we can do on our own. God is going to be loving and gracious enough always to come and mess with that. He says, i got something so much better for you. And I'm going to make sure that my plan doesn't fail. Okay, let's just look at verse 30. Because from uh, in 11, verses 10 through 26, is basically just going to connect the dots to Abraham. All right, the first 11 chapters tell us the story of how God is going to rescue the entire earth and how he's going to do that through his son. The first 11 chapters are, we've, we've basically covered. And now from chapter 10, 12 to chapter 50 in the book of Genesis is all about this one man and his family. It's all about Abraham. The rest of the story is going to point to him. So the rest of chapter 11 tells us how Abraham got on the scene. And by the way, God's going to take this one man and he's going to multiply him. He's going to bless him. And God's going to show us how incredibly powerful he is by looking at verse 30. His wife, Sarai, was barren. She had no children. God, has, let me tell you, if you're here and you're, you're wrestling with what God hasn't done, and you feel like the promises are unfulfilled, you feel like God's offered you so much and you've received so little, rejoice. His plan will not fail. His promises will come true. It may seem like they're empty. It may seem like it's void, but it's not true in Christ Jesus. Now, as we look at Abraham, here's what I want you to do. Abraham is the answer. Abraham is the remedy to what just happened. What just happened? God took man and his plans and he messed them all up and he scattered them all throughout the world. But now he's going to take one man. He's going to say, one man, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to have you go after all that I've scattered. I'm going to bless you so you can be a blessing to them all. Abraham is the remedy, or at least he's pointing to the ultimate remedy of what Babel has done. It's an incredible story. When we see it in that, that vein, it really comes alive. Let's look again at, uh, let's look to Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and from your house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Know what's unbelievable? Everything that man was trying to get on its own. They wanted to be a great name, a great nation. They wanted to be a great blessing. Everything God, man tried to do without God was thwarted. And everything that they want in Babel, Abraham received. You're going to be awesome. 
I'm going to bless you. I'm going to change your name. I'm going to make you a great nation. So much so that you'll be a blessing to all. Those who uh, curse you will be cursed. Those who bless you will be blessed. And listen, also, see that God's plan is always for the world. He is a missional God. He blesses one so that we will be a blessing to all. So many times we read through the uh, Old Testament and say, God seems to be so unfair. God just seems to be blessing one nation. God just seems to be blessing one family. God just seems to be blessing so few. But every time he blesses one, it's always so they will be a blessing to all. That's our missional God. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him in verse 4. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak at Moriah. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, Take off your sandals. To your, I'm sorry, that's Moses he said that to. Um, to your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going to that word. Here. But here's what you got to see. This is unbelievable. Remember, hear this story through the the ears of those who first heard it. Okay? Who were the ones who were first hearing it? They were just leaving Egypt. And they were heading to the promised land. And guess what they were just told in this story? God promised this land to their descendants. Think of how much courage they would receive from this. You know what they were being told? You're going home. This is your homeland. And I know that they seem like giants there. And I know they're already living there. But this was God's plan from the beginning. This is your land. And you're to go take it. And look at incredible parallels between what God did to the nation of Israel and with Abram. Listen through their ears to this incredible story in verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was so severe in the land. Any biblical scholars remember what got the nation of Israel into Egypt? Does anybody remember what it was? Anybody know? What was it? It's a famine. Unbelievable. You started to see an incredible parallel. Here was Abram who would leave the promised land and go to Egypt. Why? Because of a famine. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman that is beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister. Well, he was, she was a half-sister. And it may go well with me because of you. And that my life may be spared for your sake. What do you think of Abram? There's a noble guy, huh? There's a noble guy. By the way, it says that Abram was 75 years old when he left for the promised land. I don't know how old he is now, but Sarai was 10 years younger. So this, ladies, be of good cheer. This is at least a 65-year-old woman that he's worried about. So uh, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I mean, who needs any of this cosmetic surgery junk? Here is a 65-year-old woman that Abram is worried about. And sure enough, she was clearly beautiful. When... um, 
Because when the Egyptians saw her, the woman was very beautiful. They took her. And verse 15, when the princes of, of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Here's where you got to see God's beautiful hand. He's the hero of this story again. Abram's a bumbling idiot who's willing to give up his wife for his own hide. I mean, Abram, he's willing to, to let his wife go to some other man's arms, so he has his life spared. I mean, that's no hero. That's a zero. I mean, who would do that to his wife? And he's going to lie about this again. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Now, let me ask a question. What happened to Egypt and Pharaoh that got them out uh, of Egypt the, the, uh, for the nation of Israel? What, was, what did God do to them? Plagues. plagues. It's amazing. It's the whole same story. I mean, think of the confidence they're seeing. This is our land. God has given us this land. And not only that, Abram was our man who went before us. And he was a stumbling, bubbling idiot just like us. But God's plan never fails. God's never going to let us go. It's amazing. The story of the Bible is so beautiful. And it clearly points to God as the hero. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why, have you, why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. And they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Here's what the picture was. Abram left Egypt with all plunder. Just like the Israelites. And the Israelites heard this story. And they're looking at one another saying, we're going home. And Abram represented us. And God really is giving us this land. We truly are a blessed people. And we are blessed to be a blessing. You see, the story of Abram is this. It's the remedy to Babel. God's plan will never fail. But man was so rebellious. The curse was so much that they wanted to build their own city. They wanted to build their own name. And God said, no, I'm going to confuse you and I'm going to scatter you. But I'm going to raise up one who I'm going to bless. I'm going to bless him so he will bless you. And all of this story points to Christ. How in the world can all these blessings be fulfilled in Abram? He was a stumbling, bumbling failure in many ways. And the only thing he really ultimately did was point to the one who would bring all these blessings to all nations. I don't know. I got this picture of what this story really means. And I have this picture of being with my kids, especially when they were young, and taking some toys and throwing them and scattering them in the pool and watching with great delight as they went and they gathered them. They brought them all into one. And really, in so many ways, this is what God has done. He took sinful man and he scattered them. And he says, I'm going to bless my own so they could jump into life and go and search for those that are lost. Go and gather them into one. Those who were confused to bring uh, my life and my meaning. See, God gives to Abram everything that man was looking for apart from God. A great nation, a great name, and a great blessing. How did Abram respond? This is where it gets so important. He responded by faith. See, Abram believed God. God came to him and said something ridiculous. you got to leave home. you got to go to a land you don't know about. And I'm going to make you an incredible blessing. Abram was saved by faith in God. 
in God's word, in God's provision, just like everyone else who was ever saved by God. You see, the story of the Old Testament is the story of the New Testament. A God who's missional and a God who saves his own and saves them always by his grace. He's always the initiator and saves them always by faith. If someone wants to tell you that God operated in the Old Testament a certain way and they were saved by works, they're wrong. Clearly, Abram was saved by faith in what God had promised and it was credited to him as righteous. But what did Abram have to do to respond to God's call? This too is very important. He had to change everything. He had to realize that he had to change his name. God would change him from Abram to Abraham. God wants to change our names to be his family name. He had to change his identity. He had to be willing to leave everything he knew. Think of how fearful that was. Leave your country. Leave your kindred. Leave everything that you know. Change your identity. God's calling us as well. Change your identity from what you want to build, your name, to my name and my identity, and then you'll really live. Change your security. What, what, is, what is your hope in? Where is your security? I bet for Abram, a lot of ways, before God entered the picture, it was his family. And God says, no, I want you to change your security. Your security should be in me alone. And God changed his mission. He says, it's not about building yourself a name. It's not about building yourself a city. It's about me. See, Christian, what God has done for us is amazing. He has changed our name. He has changed our identity and our security. He has blessed us richly. All the blessings in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus are ours. But he's blessed us so that we will be a blessing in the midst of a cursed world. Let me ask, as you live your life, whose name are you trying to bless? Are you living your life trying to bless your own name? Or are you living your life trying to bless his name? You see, God has created Christians. He's called us as his family, as his nation, to be a blessing to a cursed world. We are to be a nation on a mission. I think about if we remove Christians from the world, it becomes like Pottersville. Remember the wonderful life? We're to make sure that the curses don't come. But Bedford Falls reigns as Christ reigns. You see, the story all points to Jesus. Every story in the Old Testament will ultimately point to Jesus. We turn quickly to Galatians. Let's look at the, uh, the fulfillment of the story in Galatians and how this does point to him. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3, verse 6. I'm going to read uh, verses 6 through 9, 14, and 20. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Remember, this is how you are saved. Verse 7, know that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. It's not by just Jewish descent. Those who are really the sons of Abraham, this promised blessed nation, this promised blessed name, are those of us by God's grace who have faith in Christ Jesus. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed, so that those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The blessings of Abraham are ours. The blessings of a great name, the blessings of a great nation are ours by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 14, So that in Christ Jesus the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that's us, 
so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now turn to verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 28. And I want you to picture this. Remember all the scattering of, God, of, of man because of sin. And yet God will gather them all to truly make them one, much better than John Lennon could ever write. He says this, In Christ Jesus, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heir according to the promise. We got to remember a couple things in closing. It's this. The good news of Jesus Christ is the only hope of the world. Do we know that? Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that this cursed world, the only answer, the only answer is Jesus Christ in our lives that can reverse that curse? Listen, it's that time of year where politics is bubbling, where we start to figure out what party we're going to vote for or what candidate or who's going to emerge or where we're going to place our hope. And let me tell you, it's important stuff. And many of you are involved in politics, and I'm proud of you for doing it and making a change to your world. But listen, any hope that we ever put in anything apart from Christ, any hope we have in a politician, any hope we have in a particular party, any hope we have in man is basically building a tower of Babel. It's a hope of man. The only hope for man is Jesus. And he's come to rescue us and set us free. On one of my mission trips, I met a man named Matteo. And Matteo was about an 18-year-old Canadian uh, young man. And although he was Canadian, I met him in Mexico. Um, He had taken a bus to find the meaning of life. He left his home in Canada, and he found his way into Mexico. And he eventually found his way into Casa Hogar to find a place, this orphanage outside of Acapulco. And it was there, he says, I will work for food and lodging. And in many ways, Mateo was an orphan himself, although he worked in this orphanage. And I remember the first time I saw him, it was at the airport. They came to pick us up. And I see this tall, blonde-haired person that's obviously not Mexican reaching for our bags. And I was really nervous, thinking they're going to steal our bags. The first thing we're going to do is this guy's stealing our bags. And he had tattoos all over him, like, hey, 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 those are our bags. I said, no, no, that's Mateo. Mateo now lives here. He works with us. Mateo's life worldview was the song Imagine. That's how he lived his life. I remember we mixed cement together one day. And as we were mixing cement together, he basically told me that the way I see life is kind of through the lens of John Lennon. I think he had it right when he says, imagine. And I'm sitting there listening to him. I said, you know, Mateo, imagine that there was a God. Imagine, let's let's just imagine for a minute that that there really was more than just sky, more than what the naked eye could see. Imagine that, Mateo. To me, that's a greater imagination. That's awesome. And Mateo, imagine that that God loved you. Imagine that. And imagine that that God would love you so much that he would send his own son to come and to find you. And rescue you. Imagine that, Mateo. That's an imagination. And imagine that for you to be rescued, God's son would have to be killed in your place. Imagine the love that God must have that knowing his son would die, he'd send him anyway. Imagine that, Mateo. 
Imagine being that loved. Imagine the joy of being called a child of God. And stop imagining and look at the reality of Jesus Christ. And I could just see the Spirit working in his life. And he just responded actually with a pretty strong cuss word. And he he said, blank John Lennon. (laughs) But what he was saying is, God was working powerfully in his life. A few days later, I had the privilege of praying with Mateo. And he asked Jesus to come into his life. And he said, I I realize there's something so much greater than what I was building and the imagined God became a reality of a Savior. And it's joy that came when he realized he was loved by God. And he said, you know, I thought maybe I was reaching for God, but I realized that God was reaching for me. And he took my arm like this and he grabbed me and he says, and I know he won't let me go. Is God reaching for you this morning? Have you built your life around an imaginary world where there was no God or there is no God. There is a God and He's good and He has offered us salvation in His Son and the only way this curse will be reversed is if we come to Him and say, God, I'm done imagining. I want the reality of Your Son in my life and there's such good news. He cleanses us. He forgives us and He says, I'm going to make Your name blessed. I'm going to bring you into this great family and now you are going to be a blessing to all the earth. Is that not great news? You see, God wanted to remind us that we forget. He wanted us to do more than imagine. He wanted us to know the reality. So this table is a reality that Jesus has come. He is the answer to the curse. He is the one that is a blessed name that has blessed us with his name. And through his blessings, we are a blessing to all the earth. It's a reminder of how he's blessed us through a broken body and poured out blood. Do you know him? If you do, come and feed upon Christ and be strengthened to that reality. And if you don't, today's the day where he's offering to you, imagine a God that would love you so much to send his son to rescue you. Let us pray together. Father God, we thank you that Jesus really is the answer, that he has come to reverse all that we have brought upon ourselves, the curse that we have brought upon ourselves. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who is yet to embrace Christ as Savior, that maybe they're living their life like Mateo was with the words of John Lennon's song as their theme, like they were way back at the city and tower of Babel, that today would be the day when they would realize and your love would break through and they would realize that they could too could have a blessed name in your sight. They too could be blessed in this family. And be called to be a blessing as we advance your kingdom. Father, if there's anyone here who is yet to embrace Christ, God, I pray right now in the stillness and quietness that they would reach out and realize that you're reaching to them. Father, may they acknowledge you as Lord and Savior Jesus and embrace you. And Father, for those of us who are yours, may we realize that Christ Jesus has made us blessed but not just for ourselves, but for this world to know his name. God, would you use this table to empower us? It's in Christ's powerful name we pray. Amen. As the elders come forward, would you take a few minutes to prepare your heart, prepare your souls for this incredible meal that Christ has for us?
it was on the very night that Christ was betrayed that he knew that he would have to become a curse. A curse in God's sight. A curse because of our sins so that we could become a blessing. He knew he would have to give his life up on that cross and shed his blood to wash away our sins. So it was that very night as he gathered in that upper room with his disciples that he took bread and after he had given thanks to his father, he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us pray. Father God, we ask that your spirit would come, the spirit of Christ Jesus. And Father, that you would feed us and remind us of what Christ has done through this bread and this cup. Father, we thank you for the curse that your son has become so that we can become blessed. Father, we thank you that you have given him now the name above every name, that in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And Father, we pray for those who have yet to bow their knee or confess that Jesus is Lord, that even as this bread comes, that today would be the day that they don't partake, but the day where they would embrace Christ as Savior. And for all of us who have already declared that Jesus is Lord, use this to proclaim to the world that we do believe and feed us afresh on Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.